This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language and mature themes. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 255. Hello, Metamorphs! Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you, fresh off the writing desk. I'll also tell you what's new with my life and my writing. So let's get started, shall we? Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 29 of my Metamorph City novel, Homecoming. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 228 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Kate and John went to the rescue of Janet Vickers, the high school senior who had sex with Chase on the night he transformed into an incubus. Janet's family are members of the Redeemers, a sect of religious extremists who believe that all outsiders must be banished or killed. A bunch of people at the house party saw Chase transform, and now the town is running wild with rumors that he's become a demon, or that a demon killed him and took his place. Regardless of which version Janet's family believed, John knew that they would believe she had been corrupted by having sex with Chase. And after Janet left the Catane's house, John saw another car following her, with the headlights off. John and Kate quickly suited up for a fight, and flew John's skimmer to the vicar's home. Once there, Kate used her invisibility spell to do some reconnaissance. She found Janet tied to a chair in the basement, stripped to her underwear and soaking wet, while her father and four other men tried to perform an exorcism on her. After watching a video Kate had recorded through a basement window, John quickly realized that these religious fundamentalists had no idea what they were doing, and he could take advantage of that. Using his shapeshifting powers, John transformed himself into a copy of a famous Redeemer televangelist. He convinced Mr. Vickers that he had been sent to him by an act of divine providence to help free Janet from the evil spirit that possessed her. Kate followed John inside, still under the magic veil, and they went down to the basement. With the Redeemer men praying loudly behind him, John managed to convey to Janet that she needed to fake a demonic possession so that John could free her. Janet was very convincing, and using her demon voice, she accused her captors of being a bunch of hypocrites whose hearts were full of lust. John then performed the exorcism, using Kate's illusion powers to provide some special effects. He took Janet's head in both hands and sent a large amount of essence into the room, making it look like the infernal red smoke and shadows were pouring out of Janet's own body. The essence had no effect on Janet. She was too angry and humiliated to be open to Suspira's influence. 
but to John's astonishment, it did start to affect the men around them. Janet was right. These were men who were afraid of their own sexual desires, and were holding their lust in check through sheer repression. As Suspira's power took hold, their inhibitions were stripped away, and they began mindlessly groaning and touching themselves. This had not been part of John's plan, but he quickly realized it gave them another way out of this mess. He had Kate release all of the essence she had been holding, which combined with the power John had released to create a lust storm, an uncontrolled manifestation of Suspira's nature. Under its influence, the lust-mad redeemers tore off their clothes and began having sex with each other, unable to think about anything but sating their own hunger. Concealed by the swirling red-and-black clouds of Suspira's power, Kate, John, and Janet beat a hasty retreat, piling into John's skimmer and taking off into the late-night sky. Homecoming, A Tale of Metamore City, written in red by Chris Lester. Chapter 29 They got back to the Catane's house less than 15 minutes later. John used the time in flight to place one call to the local police, to discuss the teenage girl he had just rescued from a nightmarish scene of abuse and depravity, and a second call to the Lightbringers to warn them about the lust storm. Given the limited staff and resources that Agent Kashani had to work with, John suspected it would take at least several hours for them to trap the wild essence and dispel its effects. Oh well, he thought. If they can't figure it out by morning, Kate and I can always go back to help. Lisa and Mika greeted them at the door, and for once, the dog did not bark at them. Lisa wrapped them each in a tight hug as they came in, even Janet, whom she didn't really know. "'You poor dear,' she said, patting her on the back. "'Chase told us what happened. Thank heavens Kate and John got you out of there.' "'Thank you, ma'am,' Janet said, smiling tiredly. "'Come on, then,' Lisa said, guiding her toward the stairs." Let's get you out of those wet clothes and into bed. John and Kate have a place made up in the study for you. After they left, John glanced aside at Kate. Did she even notice that you don't have horns and a tail anymore? Kate shrugged. Hard to tell with her, but probably. Chase and Emily were snuggled up on the couch together, fast asleep. Miko padded over and sniffed them briefly, but they did not stir. The dog flopped down on the floor in front of them, resting his head between his paws, but his ears stayed alert for further trouble. Kate came over and petted the big beast for a minute, smiling down at him fondly. Good boy, she murmured. That's my good sweet boy. John kissed Kate goodnight and went up to the guest room. He'd expended a lot of essence on that stunt at the vicar's house, and a lot of his strength had gone with it. He stripped down to his boxers and fell into bed, and was asleep within moments. Friday, November 24th. Metacama. The next day was the holiday proper, so everyone got up late. 
Chase and Emily helped Sam make breakfast, while Kate and Lisa had a long conversation with Janet behind the closed door of the study. John stayed in the guest bedroom with the door open, close enough to be available if they needed him, but too far away to eavesdrop. All three women had known their share of trauma, and whatever they had to say to each other, it was not for John to hear. After a while, Kate came out and shut the door behind her. She found John on the bed and flopped down next to him, resting her head on his chest. How is she? John asked. Kate let out a long, heavy sigh. I don't know. She's glad to be out of there, but I think it's starting to sink in that she doesn't have a home anymore. All the family she knows is part of that fucking cult. No idea where her mother is? No, Kate said, glumly. The cop in me thinks she's probably dead. I can't imagine what else could keep her away from her daughter. I can imagine a few things, John said, mildly. It took Kate a second to realize what he was talking about. Oh, fuck. I'm sorry, John. I didn't mean... It's all right. He really wasn't angry. Kate's family life had been wonderfully uncomplicated, her murdered bio-dad notwithstanding. He could forgive her failure of imagination about the sometimes fraught relationships of children and parents. Her hand found his, squeezed it. I meant what I said before. I'll help you find your kids. He craned his neck forward, kissed the top of her head. Thank you. They lay there for a while in companionable silence, until Sam announced that breakfast was ready. Kate went back to retrieve Janet and Lisa, and they all headed downstairs together. Good morning, sleepyheads, Emily announced as they filed into the dining room. I hope you're hungry, because we got a feast ready for you. I never say no to breakfast food, John said. He and Kate sat down near the middle of the table, across from Chase and Emily. Lisa took the head of the table, with Sam at her right. There was an open seat on her left, and she beckoned Janet to sit beside her. After a moment's hesitation, Janet did so. Sam said the grace, and they all dug in with enthusiasm. Chase was seated with Janet on his right and Emily on his left, and he gave off a slow, unconscious trickle of essence throughout the meal. Janet might have been closed off to Suspira's power last night, but she was receptive now. John saw the essence pass through her aura and into her body. It wasn't much, but it was apparently enough to help her relax and enjoy the moment, letting her fears for the future fade into the background. Gradually, her shyness and awkwardness fell away, and she became an active participant in the conversation. I'm really glad I still get to see you, Chase told her, after a while. I like you kind of a lot. Janet smiled and ducked her head, her dark-skinned cheeks flushing hotter. Thanks. I like you a lot, too. A flicker of sudden fear ran over her face, and she cast a furtive glance in Emily's direction. I mean, um... I'm glad we can still hang out. I know you're not, um... I mean, I know you and... and Emily. She trailed off, apparently unsure how to finish her sentence. Emily tapped Chase on the shoulder. Chase, can I swap chairs with you for a minute? Chase's head whipped back and forth uncertainly between the two girls. Um, sure. He and Emily got up and switched seats. 
Janet watched them both, her expression wary and puzzled. Emily turned sideways in the chair and took Janet's hands in both of hers. Hey, so you know what Chase is, right? Janet raised her eyebrows. He's... an incubus? Her voice lilted upwards on the last syllable, perhaps in case Emily meant something other than the blindingly obvious. Right. Emily leaned in a little closer. You know what that means, right? What he has to do? Janet's eyes flicked over Emily's shoulder to Chase. Chase shrugged, looking embarrassed. He has to have sex to live, Janet said. He has to have a lot of sex to live, Emily corrected. A small, gentle smile crept onto her face. Look, I love Chase. I do. I've loved him a long time. But I can't keep him all to myself. Her smile turned a little lopsided. For one thing, it would literally kill me. That's true, John said. Janet's eyes went a little wide at this realization. Oh, yeah, that... that makes sense. Yeah, Emily agreed. She angled her head back, bringing Chase into the conversation. Besides, I'm in my junior year of uni right now. Do you have any idea how much studying I have to do? Even if I could keep up with you, I don't fucking have time. Chase's cheeks flushed scarlet at this. Janet giggled. Besides, Emily said, turning back to Janet, I'm not really into the whole monogamy thing. There's way too many interesting people out there. She winked across the table at Kate. Boys and girls. Janet turned her wide-eyed expression to Kate, who just smiled slyly and said nothing. Emily tugged on Janet's hands, drawing her attention back. The point is, I want Chase to be happy. And I want him to be healthy, which means I've got to make sure he's eating enough. And that means I'm going to need a whole lot of help. Her smile grew wider, and her eyes sparkled with mischief. From you and a bunch of other people. Chase shifted uncomfortably in his chair. He glanced up at John, Kate, and the other grown-ups at the table. Um, do we have to talk about this here? Now? I think we do, yeah, Emily said, unperturbed. If only because John knows I'm right. Janet and Chase both looked up at John, who spread his hands in a helpless gesture. She's got a point. You can be charming when you want to be, Chase, but you're pretty introverted, and you don't have a lot of experience with the whole dating thing. Instead of hitting the party scene every night, you might be better off putting together a group of trusted partners who could take turns keeping you fed. A harem, Lisa said, with a wicked grin. Chase looked slightly mortified at the idea, but the pulse of essence that came out of him told John that he was also turned on by it. A harem, Emily agreed, grinning. What do you say, Janet? You want to help me take care of our boy? Janet smiled back, still a little nervous, but also intrigued. I think maybe, yes. I don't know. I kind of have a lot of stuff going on right now. She looked back over Emily's shoulder at Chase, and a touch of hope filled her eyes. But it would be good not to go through it alone. At that, Chase's expression softened, embarrassment giving way to empathy.
he reached around Emily and squeezed Janet's shoulder. You won't be alone, he promised. Tensions relaxed considerably after that. By the time the meal was over, Janet and Emily were swapping stories of past athletic competitions and speculating openly about who else they might invite to join Chase's harem. A balanced diet is important for proper health, Emily insisted, with a twinkle in her eye. We should probably find you a boy or two, just to make sure you get enough vitamin D. Chase blushed a deeper shade of crimson and hid his face in his coffee mug. After breakfast, Kate bequeathed her male birth control amulet to Chase. Condoms can break or get lost, she explained. And most girls have their own birth control, but not everyone knows which kinds will work against incubus sperm, especially out here in the provinces. You don't want to go getting people pregnant without their permission. Chase nodded soberly and clicked the amulet shut around his wrist. I don't think I want to get anyone pregnant with their permission either. Not for a while yet, anyway. I'm not ready to be a dad. Smart, Kate said. She gave him a few more pointers on how to use it, and particularly how to know when the enchantment was running low and needed to be recharged. Emily and Janet listened carefully to all this as well, and asked questions about getting incubus-proof birth control of their own. John was glad to see them taking the matter seriously. When he was a new incubus, he hadn't been nearly so responsible. With that duty completed, Kate said goodbye to everyone and headed into town on an unspoken errand, getting ready for the big homecoming dance that night, or so she said. Emily and Chase went home to change clothes and see their respective parents, but promised to come back for the community potluck that afternoon. Sam and Lisa spent much of the day cooking, preparing for the feast that was the centerpiece of the Metacama celebration. That left John to deal with the fallout from their recent misadventures. Agent Kishani arrived first, shortly after Kate's departure. She held a device resembling a clunky, cast-iron mining lantern, in the center of which was a crystal sphere that pulsed with a sullen red light. John opened the door for her and bowed his head in greeting. Good morning, Nazarene. You forgot this. She extended the device in front of her, like a disgruntled neighbor handing over a bag of dog waste. Gratefully, John accepted the chamber from her. He placed one hand against the crystal, felt the sympathetic hum of Suspira's essence within. Thank you. I hope it didn't give you too much trouble. Just a few images that will haunt my nightmares, Kishani said dryly. Worst case of chafing I've ever seen. And did you know there's such a thing as a broken penis? Because I could have gone the rest of my life without that information. John winced, sucking air between his teeth. Ouch. That almost makes me feel bad for them. Except for the whole psychological torture and child abuse thing. Kashani acknowledged this with a vague wave of one hand. Happily, that part is not my jurisdiction. She rolled her eyes and sighed. Unlike, say, alleged cases of demonic possession, the cranks are going to come out of the woodwork after that stunt you pulled. Demons in every doorknob, John agreed. I'm sorry to make more work for you. On the other hand, he inclined his head toward the living room, where Janet was texting avidly with Emily and Chase on Lisa's tablet. 
We got her out of there without hurting anyone. Well, aside from a broken penis, apparently. Kishani's eyes shifted toward the teenager. John saw her body posture relax slightly, and her lips curved into a small, bittersweet smile. I know what it's like to have your family judge you for who you love, she said, her voice low and thoughtful. I'm glad you got her out. Me too. John set down the containment vessel, then leaned in closer to Kashani's ear. Do they know it was us? Kashani shook her head. They think it was an exorcism that went haywire, and I'm happy to let them keep believing that. I gave them a stern warning about trying anything like that again. Her dark eyes fixed on his. But they know there was an incubus in this house, and they know she came here last night. Even if they don't know how she got free, this'll probably be the first place they look for her. John conceded this with a nod. I'm working on that part. Don't worry, it shouldn't involve anything in your jurisdiction. Kashani smirked. See that it doesn't. She put her sunglasses on and inclined her head to him. Until next time, John. Enjoy the books. She turned and started to walk away. Nazreen, John said. She paused, looked back over her shoulder. If you ever want more than book learning, try talking to Brandon and Margaret Tomley. They have a, uh, home study group that could be relevant to your interests. He shrugged. You know, if you want someone more local to talk to. For a long moment, Kishani did not reply. With her eyes hidden behind her sunglasses, John couldn't read her expression. At last, she said, Thank you. I'll keep that in mind. She turned her back on him again. As she headed for her ground car, John sent a small, gentle tendril of essence in her direction. Her aura opened to accept it. The next item on the agenda was the most difficult, helping Janet sort out her living situation. Because she was technically underage, her 18th birthday was not until January, Janet's father was still her legal guardian. She and John spent about an hour searching the world net for signs of her mother, but the woman was no longer using her married name, and Janet did not know her maiden name or her imperial identification number. Janet herself did not have a presence on social media. Her father had forbidden such things. So they created a user profile and posted a video message, in the hope that her mother might find it. Short of hiring a private investigator, there was nothing else they could do except wait and hope. In the meantime, Janet needed a safe place to stay. Since they had documented clear evidence of abuse, she could petition for a change of guardianship, or for emancipation, but either process would take time. Right now, they needed to demonstrate to the authorities that she was safe, and that going home was not in her best interest. John took Janet to the Littlefield Police Department, which had jurisdiction over the vicar's home. Slowly, with chin held high and a voice that only quavered a little, Janet walked the police through her ordeal. She did not attempt to explain the exorcism, nor did she volunteer that the man her father had called Brother Michael was actually John in disguise. She did admit that the video came from Kate, who had snuck into the house to gather evidence of her mistreatment after she had come to the Catane's house earlier that night. 
The police already knew about her experience at the house party. They had questioned her while she was in the hospital, so there was no need to go over that part again. As far as the police were concerned, she had snuck out of the house to see her boyfriend, and then her father and his friends had tied her up and tortured her for being demonically corrupted. Fortunately, the Littlefield PD proved much more sympathetic to teenage romance than to the Redeemers and their extremist beliefs. For his part, John described his conversation with Janet and Chase earlier that night, and how he had driven his skimmer to Littlefield to help Kate gather the evidence of Janet's abuse. He could hardly deny having been there, since his skimmer's transponder had been on for the flight. He also did not attempt to explain the apostle in the video, and since the man bore very little resemblance to John's usual physical form, the police apparently did not think to ask if it was him. John supposed that they did not encounter many shapeshifters this far from Metamore, and if they didn't know Incubi possessed that talent, then John saw no need to enlighten them. Kate showed up at the station before they were finished, along with Sam, who had picked her up downtown. She gave her own statement about what she had witnessed, which the Littlefield officers seemed to treat with special attention, unsurprising given her rank and profession. Sam couldn't tell them anything firsthand about the case, but he did offer to let Janet stay with him and Lisa until the guardianship question could be resolved. Janet quickly accepted, and since Sam was a government employee himself, and a mandated reporter for child abuse issues, this idea probably carried more weight than it would have done if he had been a random civilian. Since Janet's only relatives in the area were implicated in her abuse— the police reluctantly let her go home with the Catanes for now. Kate switched vehicles with Janet for the drive back to Sam and Lisa's. She had a garment bag with her, which she stuck in the back seat of John's skimmer before getting in. John looked back at it curiously. Mission accomplished, I take it? he asked. Kate gave him a satisfied smile, nodding once. If you're going to make me go on a dance floor tonight, I decided I needed something special. John smiled knowingly. You went back to Henri. I did, Kate said, with evident pleasure. Something in her tone made John look at her more closely. Her green eyes were sparkling, her lips curved just so, her posture relaxed and self-assured. You fucked him again, John said. Kate blushed, but only a little. Her smile broadened. We decided to try it the other way, since I don't have a cock anymore. Just for comparison's sake. She paused, then added, smugly, Still just as good, if you're wondering. John chuckled, then leaned over and kissed her deeply. When they parted, he reached up and cupped her cheek in one hand, tracing his thumb over her chin. He smiled fondly at her. I think having Suspira's essence did you some good. She smiled back, reached up, and covered his hand with her own. When she spoke, her voice was quiet, thoughtful, and content. I think so, too. I feel more relaxed now. About my sexuality, about sharing it with people. More confident, too. When I saw Henri again, and I felt that same spark between us, I knew it wasn't just Suspira's magic anymore. That was me. She shrugged. I'm not in love with him or anything, but he's a dear, sweet man, and a hell of a lover. 
and I'd fantasized about him for a long time. So I told him how I felt, and one thing led to another. It was good. John gazed into her eyes a moment longer, then started the skimmer and began the drive back to Bridger Heights. He felt a profound sense of satisfaction. This was what he had always tried to teach his converts to hedonism, the confidence to share joy and pleasure with the people they found attractive, the self-love to recognize what they wanted, and to believe that they were worthy of it. Kate hadn't come to that revelation quite how he would have expected, but she had gotten there, in her own way. It was only a fair trade, he thought. After all, he'd learned a lot from his relationship with Kate, and with Delilah before her, about the pleasures of commitment, and trust, and mutual understanding, about loving someone enough to put their needs before your own, about the satisfaction of being in it with someone else for the long haul, wherever the road took you. It wasn't about good and evil, he thought, not about sin and righteousness. There was room in the human heart for both giving and receiving, for playful flings and love that endured, for animal attraction and soul-deep commitment. People needed Valena's message of faithful love for others, but they also needed Suspira to tell them not to be afraid of their own needs, desires, and hungers. Like the Divine Sisters themselves, the lessons they taught were often in tension with one another. But tension didn't have to mean conflict. Properly applied, it could be a source of strength. Kate reached over and found his hand, squeezed it. Are you jealous? she asked. The question surprised him. Because you had sex with Henri? Yeah. John turned his hand over, gripped hers. I'm proud of you. For knowing what you wanted and letting yourself have it. I'm happy for you. I know, Kate said, easily. She caressed his fingers with her thumb. That doesn't mean you can't still be jealous. This was not the conversation John had been expecting. For a moment, he was at a loss for words. I... hang on. Are you jealous when I fuck other people? Kate shrugged slightly. Sometimes. It depends. I am happy for you when you find someone fun. Doesn't mean there isn't a part of me that's sad for missing out. John nodded thoughtfully. Maybe there is a little part of me that feels that way. I have to tell you, these last few days, it's been really special sharing this part of my life with you, enjoying other people but doing it together. He gave her a quick glance as he drove, checking her reaction. She smiled and nodded her agreement. So, sure, finding out that you went off and fucked someone without me. I am happy for you, but I also feel like I missed something. Does that make sense? It does, Kate said. And I'd love us to keep playing with other people together, if it's someone we're both into. I even want to borrow your essence again, now that I know I can give it back. Her grin turned a little lopsided. Though hopefully next time we can avoid throwing the entire town into chaos in the process. John laughed. <laughs> well, this is Suspira's essence we're talking about. A little chaos comes with the territory. Kate conceded this with a nod. Then she lifted their joined hands and kissed the back of his knuckles. I love you, you know. John felt a flush of warmth spread outward from his core. He pulled a little on Kate's hand, 
felt the tension between them, the strength of the bond that held them together. Yeah, he said softly. I know. And that's the end of chapter 29. Come back next time when our heroes attend the Metacama potluck and Chase has an important decision to make about his future. John Green said, Writing is a profession for introverts who want to tell you a story, but don't want to make eye contact while doing it. So come along with me, and I'll tell you what I've been working on lately. Just don't get too close. It's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of September 19th through September 25th. I didn't do any fiction writing this week. My anxiety about the state of my country, the upcoming election, and all the other stuff going on in the world has made it hard to be creative. I have kept my chain going by working on the podcast and recording and editing the last few chapters of Homecoming. At the time of this writing, I have just one chapter left to record and two chapters to edit, so I'm expecting to be able to submit the files to Audible by early October. Next week, Mel and I are taking the dogs to the mountains of southwest Virginia for a week-long vacation. We're staying with a friend at his father's cabin. I'm looking forward to long, relaxing days away from the news and the stressors of civilization. My hope is that this trip will be a way for me to hit the reset button and get back into the story of Honor Bound. I'm excited to tell you about a new audiobook I have for sale. A Wizard Family Solstice is now available from a variety of online retailers, including Audible, Kobo, Google Play, Chirp, and Apple Books. There's an announcement on the Fans of Metamore City webpage where you can find links to the different markets. If you're looking for a heartwarming story of magic and family drama for the holidays, I think you'll enjoy it. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvette Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.